Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, we're listening to Pastor Stephen's Easter message, and it's titled, The Message of the Empty Tomb. He comes out of John chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. So enjoy the sermon. If you have a Bible this morning, open up to John 20. John 20, and we're going to be looking at uh, the first eight verses of John 20. It is a resurrection passage. It's going to sound familiar to many of you, or it may be the first time you've read it, but the message, the message of it is still the same. Now, I heard a conversation this week where someone said, you know what, I really like Christmas more than I like Easter. And they were just making a statement. They were just making a statement. I get that. I get how somebody could say that. But let us not forget that if it, if it weren't for Easter, we wouldn't even celebrate Christmas. If it weren't for the empty tomb, I promise you, we would not be celebrating the birthday of someone who lived and died and stayed in the grave just like everyone else. No, it is the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything. And so that is the message that God has sent to mankind, that there is hope and there is life through the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Now, messages can be sometimes confusing and misunderstood. I'll give you an example. I heard about this guy from North Dakota uh, who flew down to Key West. He was going to have to do some business, and then after the business, his wife was gonna fly down the next day, and they were gonna have a few days of vacation. And so uh, he got there, and very quickly, before he was heading into his meeting, he fired off an email to her, and in his haste, he put one wrong letter in the email. It didn't go to his wife. It went to a Baptist preacher's wife, who unfortunately had just buried her dearly departed husband. She read the email, she screamed, and then she fainted. Here's what the email said. First of all, to my loving wife. In the subject line, it said, I've arrived. Here's the body of the email. I know that you didn't expect to hear from me, but I wanted you to know that everything is just great and everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) I so look forward to seeing you then. P.S. It sure is hot down here, so pack accordingly. (laughs) That was a confusing message. (laughs) Hey guys, listen to me. God's got your right address today. God knows where you've been, God knows where you are, and God knows where you are going. And the very fact that you're here today is evidence within itself that he wants to have a relationship with you. So let's look at this passage of Scripture this morning. John chapter 20, the first eight verses. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. I I, I like to stop and always make this very clear. The other disciple is the one writing this. 
Okay, this is John writing this. He is the other disciple, okay? Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, oh, by the way, whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he, he loved them all, but he was making sure we knew he loved, really loved John. And he said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, so they got into a foot race. And they both ran together. Oh, and by the way, the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> Came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Now, he was really fast, but he had no courage because he, did, he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter finally got there, right? Came following him. And he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, he being Jesus, right? The handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, let me just stop and say this. Down through history, you and I have heard pastors preach sermons about why the handkerchief was not with the rest and how the handkerchief was folded. And there have been a lot of liberties that have been taken to any symbolic meaning to the handkerchief. Let's not get focused on that today because the biggest take home is the tomb is empty. Okay? The tomb is empty. Doesn't matter anything about the handkerchief, the tomb is empty. So, with that being said, then the other disciple, who by the way came to the tomb first, went in also. And he saw and believed. Peter and John found the tomb and it was empty. And John walked into the tomb and the Bible says he saw and he believed. Can I tell you, that's what I'm praying for you today, that you would see and you would believe. That's the reason why last Sunday evening, our deacons and yoke fellows, roughly 60 men gathered in this room and went from row to row and seat to seat, praying over the people that would be sitting in them this morning that they might see and they might believe. It's the reason why I'm going off about two hours of sleep last night, praying that today you might see and you might believe. So with that being said this morning, what is the message of the empty tomb. I believe there are four different messages that we can see through this passage of scripture when it comes to the empty tomb. The first message of the empty tomb is, it turns hatred into love. Hatred into love. Now, it's hard to imagine the hatred that was being directed towards Jesus at the crucifixion. The hands of these vile, vile men that were torturing and they were beating him. The Bible says this, the Bible tells us that when it comes to the crucifixion of Christ, they spat on him. They plucked the hair from the beard on his face. They took a crown that was made of long thorns and they, 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 they drove it down into his scalp. They used a cat of nine tails. That was a Roman instrument of of persecution to where it was a whip that had nine different thongs or pieces of leather that would come off of it, sewn into those leather, those pieces of leather, would have been animal bones and pottery. 
It was designed in such a way that when it hit you, it would stick to the flesh. And then it would tear the flesh away as they pulled it back. And so his back would have been a mass of bleeding tissue. They drove nails, not the nails that you use at your house to hang pictures. They drove railroad spikes into his hands, into his feet. Every single action that happened at the crucifixion of Christ said this, I hate you. I hate you. Yet every reaction of Christ was, I love you. Every action of him was demonstrating the love that he had for even these individuals. Jesus talked about his love, John chapter 15, verse 13. Listen to what he says in John 15, 13. Greater love, John 15, 13. Do we have that scripture? We do? Fantastic. It's up. No. There it is. John 15, 13. Our guy left us. Okay. Well, will you take that over for us? Thank you. Greater love hath no one than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Guys, listen to me. When you have been touched by God, you no longer have a heart of hatred. You have a heart of love. Why? Because that's Christ. That is Christ. I'll give you an example how God can take hatred and he can turn it into love. This is a true story that happened back in the 1980s. There was a man by the name of Johnny Lee Clary, imperial wizard of the Oklahoma Ku Klux Klan. He hated minorities. He especially hated a local African-American pastor named Wade Watts. He did everything he could to get Wade to hate him back. But Wade kept showing Johnny the love of God. They met one time at a local radio station for a debate, and Wade, Pastor Wade, walked up to Johnny, and here's what he said. He said, hello, Mr. Clary, I'm Pastor Wade Watts, and I just want to say that God loves you, and I love you too. He offered his hand to Johnny, and Johnny didn't think, and he shook his hand, and then Johnny immediately took his hand, and he started wiping his clothes. And Pastor Watts said this, don't worry, Johnny, it won't wipe off. They went into this radio station in this debate, and on the show, Johnny used every kind of racial slur and hateful statement that he could think of. Pastor Wade said, God bless you, Johnny. You can't do enough to me to make me hate you. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to pray for you whether you like it or not. And he didn't know how to respond to that. They stood outside of the pastor's house in their robes. Pastor Wade came out, and he said, boys... Halloween's not until four weeks. You're welcome to come back later if you'd like. They burned a cross in the lot across from Pastor Wade's house. He came out and he said, guys, would you like hot dogs and marshmallows to roast with that fire? Eventually, they even burned his church. And after the fire was controlled, Johnny called Pastor Wade, trying to disguise his voice. And here's what he said. You better be afraid. We're coming for you next. You don't know who I am, but I know who you are. And Wade said, well, Johnny, thank you for calling me at a time like this. I want to pray for you. Lord, 
Please forgive Johnny for being so stupid. <laughs> it was a great prayer. One day, 30 members of the clan surrounded Pastor Wade and his family while they were eating at a local restaurant. They said, your kind don't belong in this restaurant. Johnny got down next to him and he said, listen, we're going to do to you what you're doing to that chicken on your plate. Pastor Wade picked up the chicken and he kissed it. <laughs> and even Johnny started laughing. Friend, listen to me. Love always wins. And because of the love that was shown by Pastor Wade to a hateful man named Johnny Lee, eventually Johnny surrendered his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He repudiated all that he had been a part of. He joined the church and God even called him to be a pastor. And before he died, Pastor Johnny and Pastor Wade, true story, look it up. Don't look it up now, you'd have to get off your game. Look it up later. <laughs> before Johnny died, Pastor Johnny and Pastor Wade held many revival services together where they would preach from the very same pulpit. Friend, the empty tomb turns hatred into love. And that's what happened. The world shouts hate. The tomb echoes love. Love. Jesus will change a heart of hatred. Maybe you're here this morning and you've got a heart that is, that is full of, of hatred towards an individual because they said something unkind. They treated you unkind. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you, won't, you don't even understand how I've been hurt. Or maybe you're even here and you're like, hey, the church, the church. I've been so disillusioned. I've been so hurt by the church. Friend, listen to me. You hang around here long enough, I can promise you this. You'll be disappointed in the preacher. You'll be disappointed in the leadership. You'll show up one day and even the coffee in the coffee bar won't taste good. You will be disappointed by everyone that's a part of this church. The only one that won't disappoint you is the one who is the subject of the worship of this church. And he is the one that gave his life for you. Jesus Christ. He'll take that hate. He'll take that hurt. He'll take that pain and he'll create love. That's through the empty tomb. But then secondly, the empty tomb will turn failures into forgiveness. Stop and think about Jesus from an earthly standpoint. A lot of folks will say, well, he wasn't very successful. He died when he was 33 and he really hadn't accomplished much according to human accomplishments. You stop and think, he, he uh, didn't own his own home, didn't own a company. He, uh, he had never written a book. He was penniless. I mean, he was a teacher, but he didn't build a school. He healed people, but he didn't build a hospital. I mean, you look at him all the way around, and you would say from the world standpoint, he was a failure. But yet, he was not a failure. He was successful at the mission that God had called him to do. What was that mission? To forgive. To forgive. Matter of fact, when you and I stop and look, we'd have to say that we're the failures, right? You say, you can't say that about me. You don't even know me. Well, I don't have to know you to know this. 
You can't live a perfect life. You're a failure. Now, it is true that there are some people that are greater sinners than others. There are some of you that really got that whole sinning thing down pat. But unless you can live the perfect life, you failed at keeping the perfect law of God. Don't worry, though. Jesus is successful. Jesus offers failure, or he offers forgiveness for the failures. Listen to me. When Jesus was on the cross, I want you to hear these powerful words that he spoke. And this is in Luke 23, verse 34. In Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The, the word there in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it carries this continual type tense, right? Ah, we read it and we're like, okay, he said that one time, but that's not really the way it reads. It means that he kept on saying this. He kept on saying this uh, as the soldier knelt down to, to drive the spikes into his hands and feet. Father, forgive them. As they ridiculed him and spit upon him, Father, forgive them. As they blindfolded him and they took sticks and they hit him and they said, if you're really the son of God, tell us which one did this. Father, forgive them. Over and over, they lifted him up into the sky and the cross. Father, forgive them. And today, he offers forgiveness for you. I think as Christians, we often miss the powerful truth of the tomb. We focus on the truth of the cross. We focus on the truth of the tomb being empty, but then we're like, well, what happened for the days that he was there? I mean, those were just the days to get ready, right? That was just kind of a holding and a waiting pattern. Yet the Bible makes it very clear, friends, that our sins were buried with Jesus. There's a great old song that a few years ago, they, they kind of put some new music to it and revived it. But I want you to listen to the line from it. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. So the empty tomb, it turns hatred into love. It turns failure into forgiveness. But I'll tell you the third message. It turns death into life. Toward sundown, on the day that Jesus was crucified, toward sundown, they wanted to make sure that the body was, the bodies are, were dead. They wanted to make sure that they would not desecrate the Sabbath, especially since it was a special Passover Sabbath. We've got to make sure before the sun sets that everyone is dead, they're removed from the crosses. And so what happened is the Roman soldiers took these iron mallets and they broke the lower legs of the two thieves on either side of Christ. The reason why they broke their lower legs is because they would push up so they could gasp for air. They were, they were ultimately suffocating. Basically, what they did is they broke the legs so that they might in turn no longer be able to, to get their own breath. And so they literally suffocated. They come to Jesus though, they realize he was already dead. No need to break his legs. 
They saw he was dead, but to make his death official, they took a spear and they stuck it in between his rib cage, went into his pericardial sac, and all of a sudden blood and water came forth as an indication that indeed he was dead. I'm sure the Jewish officials wiped their hands and said, he is dead, problem solved. I'm sure the devil laughed and he was saying he's dead. But let me remind you, when the world shouts dead, the empty tomb shouts alive. God can shout alive. The Bible says this, that on Sunday morning, the women arrived at the tomb. Expecting what? A dead body. I mean, when you go to the cemetery, how many of you go to the cemetery and you're like, you know what, I think I'll go to the cemetery and it'll be filled full of people who used to be dead, but now they're alive. I wouldn't go. You understand why they were a little bit of afraid. And they go there, and there's an angel that's there. And I love what the angel says. The angel said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. And yet the planet is littered with millions of graves and tombs of people. Some are famous tombs. Uh, The majority of them are very obscure, just regular people. The pyramids in England are in England. In Egypt, they're really tombs. The Taj Mahal in India, just this big mausoleum. The Ming Dynasty emperors, they're buried in massive tombs. Some of them, a hundred acres. You go to the tombs of the religious teachers, do a roll call. Muhammad here, Confucius here, Buddha here, Moses here, Jesus. Jesus. Silence. All we hear is the echo from an empty tomb. Now, maybe you're here today, and you're like, I don't really know about all that. I mean, I'm just here because my family's here. They told me to come. I really, I, I'm really a skeptic when it comes to, you know, was he really, did he really rise from the dead? Is he really alive? I mean, it sounds like a great story and all that kind of stuff. But really, really, could that really happen? Okay, let's just go with that. Because I was watching a program a couple of nights ago, and it was one of these. I don't know why I watched it, because I knew how angry I was going to get. But you ever see these programs? And a lot of times they're on the Discovery Network or something like that and they want to explain away the supernatural of the miracles of God right well the the way they crossed across the Red Sea is because they have these ravines and the water was I mean the wind blew this way and look we have simulated it with a fan in a bathtub (laughs) what here's what they were saying here's what they were saying there was there was this wiggle jaw guy that was really an expert on there and here's what he said he said, the, the disciples, they, they made it all up. It was a lie. Undoubtedly, they stole the body. They hid it. We've not been able to find it, but we will. Really? Okay, let's go with that. Let's go with that. So if they did, if they stole the body of Jesus, what happened to the body of Jesus? Surely, if they lied about it all and made it up, they had some personal gain. I mean, if they lied about it, I mean, surely there was something that was going to, 
benefit them, okay? Well, let's just stop and think about these guys who, who lied about it. Because, by the way, they said we, 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 we've, Jesus is alive. They, they weren't meaning, well, Jesus is alive in our memories. Jesus is alive in our hearts. You know, a lot of times we'll say that about a family member or friend who has passed on. And we're like, oh, well, they're alive. They're alive in us and they're alive in the way that they... That's not what they meant. They didn't mean he is alive. No, they meant we've seen him, we heard him, we touched him. So why, why would they lie? Well, James, here's what he got. He was thrown off the corner of the Temple Mount and it didn't kill him. And so they took stones and heaped them on him until he finally died. Bartholomew, they skinned him alive because he refused to say it's all fake. I, I, we lied about it all. He's truly not alive. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. Mark, they drug Mark through the streets until he was dead. James was beheaded. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Peter, they crucified Peter upside down. Paul, one day the prison cell opened up. They brought Paul out, laid his head down on a block, and they chopped it off. What'd they get out of it? They were martyred because they said Jesus Christ is alive and he is alive. Don't you think at least one of these liars would have confessed while they were about to lose their life? You know, we made it all up. It's not true. We lied about it. It was a plot. It's not true. But all of them went to their deaths concerning the central truth of the gospel. What is that? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried in God raised him from the dead. And so many, many insist, guys, that this life is all there is. You know, you're here and you're gone, and that's just kind of it. But the empty tomb says right the opposite. The empty tomb tells us that we were created for more than just this life. True story, this happened uh, not, not too long ago. There was a letter that went out from the Greenville County, South Carolina Department of Social Services. And the letter was addressed to more than 50 former residents who had recently died. You heard what I said, they sent a letter to dead people. Here's what the letter said. To whom it may concern... Your food stamps will be stopped effective immediately because we received some notice that you have passed away. (laughs) True letter went out. Listen to what the last line said. You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. (laughs) Obviously, that was a mistake. And there were some irate family members that very clearly let the department know that they had made a mistake. But... But they were, they were true. This life's not all there is. Life is beyond the grave. See, here's what's going to happen, guys. Listen to me. When we die, they're going to write an obituary about us. And in that obituary, here's what it's going to say. He is dead. She is dead. But because of Jesus Christ, it says alive. They are alive. The tomb of God that is empty writes alive all over it. That's the reason why we hang on the words of Jesus Christ. John 11, 25 and 26. 
He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So here's what he does. He takes hate, the empty tomb. He turns hate into love. He takes failure and turns it into forgiveness. He'll even take death and turn it into life. And here's the last one. The empty tomb takes hopeless and turns it into hopeful. On the History Channel, not too long ago, they were showing a documentary about how in 1927, the U.S. Navy, they lost a submarine. It was S, the submarine S-4. It had a collision with a Coast Guard, Coast Guard cutter. The first divers that reached the crippled sub, they were hearing taps coming from it. And there was a sailor in the sub, and he was tapping out in Morse code, is there any hope? Sadly enough, they didn't reach him in time. Everybody on the crew died. Is there hope? Is there hope? I don't know about you, but it's easy to look around what's happening in the world today and to tap that same message out. Is there hope? Is, is there hope? You look at your family problems, is there hope? You look at your financial problems, is there hope? You look at your physical problems, is there hope? Is there any hope? They say a person, they say a person can live without food for 40 days. I've never tested that. They say that a person can live without water for four days. You can live without air for about eight minutes. But without hope, you can't live at all. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope in this life and the life to come. Here's what the Bible says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's a few verses in that passage. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. Here's what it's just said. If Jesus is still in the tomb, what I'm doing is, is, is worthless. I'm just wasting time. And then look at what it says. And so is your faith, that if he's still in the tomb, what you're doing is worthless. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. If this life is all there is, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. An optimist sees glass, a glass is half full. A pessimist sees glass is half empty. But a person who has hope sees the glass firmly in the hand of God. Friends, listen to me. You don't have to worry about your future when you know who holds the future in his hand. And that is the shout from the very first Easter morning. The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And that shout from the empty tomb, I mean, I mean, we're like all these years later, 2,000 years later, still shouting it out. He is alive. He is alive. It changes everything. He is alive. It turns hatred into love. He is alive. It turns my failures into forgiveness. He is alive. He turns death into life. He is alive. He'll take that which is hopeless, and all of a sudden, boom. He's alive. Here's hope. 
Friday afternoon, we hosted a dodgeball tournament in our student ministry. And uh, I, I don't know how many students were there. Uh, I'm sure our student pastors do. I, they're, they're easily two, 300 students. And um, the pavilion, the basketball pavilion behind our student building was just covered over with students. They asked me to come and to share the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And so my thoughts were I was going to go and do what they asked me to do. And then I'd go to my office and do some things. I mean, you know, tomorrow I'm, the IRS wants me to send them something. So I thought, you know, I'll go ahead and knock that out of the way. Anyway, but I kind of got caught up in it. But, uh, but I got to be honest with you, and our students would agree with this, the rules were really dumb. <laughs> this is true. They had one rule. If you hit someone in the head, it doesn't count. Seriously? Had I been in charge, extra points, you hit someone in the head. I mean, are you kidding? These people couldn't have made it into the 70s and 80s dodgeball. I was sitting there talking to a little kid, and I'm like, that is the dumbest rule in the world. Dumbest rule in the world. I'm like, what happens if somebody starts bleeding, and the kid's like, well, they stop the game. And they make, I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They're going to stop the game if somebody's bleeding? In the 70s and 80s, we played dodgeball with rocks. <laughs> they had these squishy little balls that were out there. Anyway, anyway. I wasn't in charge. But there were some pretty heated games, and they came down, and there was a team that won. But before it all started, they said, hey, we want you to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with these students in dodgeball, right? Could anybody get saved at dodgeball, right? I pelt you in the name of Jesus. Boom. <laughs> yes. Up, you're bleeding. We got to stop the game. Oh, yeah, I hit you in the head. I'm out. And before it started, you know, I just, they were all in. They were all sitting on the pavilion, the basketball court, and there, there wasn't a lot of open space. And I just, I'm there and I just, I just shared the good news of Jesus. But here's the question that I asked them, and I want to ask you the same very question that I ask those students. If you were to die today, Do you know heaven would be your home? In context of the sermon, here's, here's a better question. If you were to die today, does the empty tomb even make a difference in your life? And so I asked that question, and I want you guys to think, is what I told them, and I want you guys to think about it as well. If you were to die today, do you know that heaven would be your home? You know, there's only one of two ways to answer that, yes or no. There's no middle ground. Yes or no? And if you say yes, then the next question is, well, wh well, why? Or how? How do you know that? Usually people will say this, well, the reason why I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die is because I've lived a good life. We've already stated you're a failure. You can't live the perfect life. That's what God requires. You can't live the perfect life. I told you there's a fan club and I, you know, I'm like the president of that. Sinners who need salvation. So, 
You'll never stand before God and say, look at what a great life I've lived. God's going to say, yeah, forget about that whole redemption thing. Forget about the blood of Jesus. Forget about the cross. Forget about the empty tomb. Yeah, I've been watching you. You're a good little boy. You're a good little girl. Come on into heaven. It will not happen. There are a lot of people today that thought heaven would be their home because they thought they lived a life good enough to warrant heaven. There has only ever been one who put on flesh and lived perfect, and that's the one who gave his life for us. A lot of times, here's what they'll respond, and here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? And they use the term Christian like it's, uh, you know, it's some kind of rite of passage or it's some kind of family thing. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm a part of a Christian family and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And can I just say, uh, for the life of me, I can't figure out religion as a hobby. It's a terrible hobby, Yes, I know heaven will be my home because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. Here's what that means. It means that I don't just think about him when I come to church, that I don't just think about him on Easter and Christmas. And it's not a situation where I sit there and say, well, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived and died and rose again. No, 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 no. He is my Lord. I have an ever-present relationship with him. I walk with him and I talk with him every day of my life. It means that my life is different because of the relationship that I have with Christ. Friend, if you're here today and your life is no different than the person who scoffs and the person who criticizes and the person who curses Christ, then you're not in Christ. You're like, you're being way too blunt. I don't really care for that. I'm being uncomfortable. Better make you uncomfortable and you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ than for me to make you feel good and walk out of here headed to hell. Or no, I don't know that if I were to die today, heaven would be my home. And then here's what I said. Would you like to know? If you would like to know, I invite you right now. That's what I said to him. I said, would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? And they did that. And I said, now listen, we're not talking about putting faith in a prayer. I mean, I can get you to probably repeat anything. If you put your faith in some kind of mystical, magical incantation, then the result's going to be the same as if you cursed him. It's not about putting your faith in a prayer, putting your faith in a church, putting your faith in a particular denomination, putting your faith in a preacher. We've already discussed that, right? It is putting your faith in Jesus. Romans 10 says this, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you call upon the name of Jesus, you will be saved. I even told the story of the Philippian jailer over in Acts chapter 16. You know, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, hey, if you believe, on the, if you believe in Jesus Christ, on the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And then they said this, not only that, when you get saved and you go home and tell it to your family, they're going to get saved. And I said, students, bow your head and close your eyes. And I said, if today, if the desire of your heart is that you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and surrender your life to him, I invite you right now to call upon him in the quietness, the stillness of this moment. And I said, you can pray this, not because I ask you, but because this is your desire. Don't you dare say anything. It's what I told him. Don't you dare say anything that you do not believe. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I realize I am a sinner. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I believe that you're God's son, that you lived, you died, and you rose again. And Jesus, to the best that I know how, I surrender my life to you. My heart's desire is to follow you all the days of my life. And then I said, if that is the desire of your heart, if you meant what you prayed and you prayed that today, I want you to raise your hands right now. And hands started shooting up all around that court. And then I said, you know what? If you really meant that, you're not going to be ashamed of it. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus today as Lord, I want you to right now to stand. And in front of all their peers, in front of all their friends, 39 teenagers stood to their feet. Man, the gospel is just powerful. And so I ask you the same question. If you were to die today, do you know that heaven would be your home? Would you bow your heads with me right now? You've heard me explain it as clear as I know how. You're here today, and it's your heart's desire to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, then I invite you right now in this moment, the quietness, the stillness of your heart, of your mind, would you just call on Jesus? And I'll lead you exactly the way I led those teenagers. That's right, just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And Jesus, I ask you, to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you did live and you died, but I believe you rose again and that you are alive. That's right, just pray this, right in the quietness of your heart. Jesus, to the best that I know how, I surrender my life to you. It is, my, it is my desire to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go 
and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.